What's going on, everybody? And uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, today, I'm excited to have author Philip uh, Fercasi in with me today. Um, I feel like it's kind of been a little bit of a long time coming. because I know we've chatted back and forth for a little while now, but uh, it's great to have you. So, Philip, welcome on. How's it going today? Uh, it's good. It's good. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So uh, I know <laughs> we were talking a little off air about uh, kind of how like timing has gotten kind of weird. I, I know uh, trying to figure out dates and times for getting things done, especially since the pandemic started, is kind of exacerbated, I guess. Uh, it's really hard to kind of keep up with things unless you have a dozen reminders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially for me, as, as we were discussing, I'm, I'm notoriously bad with dates and times and being on time and knowing what day I'm supposed to do things and what day of the week it is. Um, especially when I'm in my writing mode, because when I'm, when I'm working, I, my schedule is such that I work in production part-time, uh, meaning like six months out of the year, six or seven months out of the year. And then I, the rest of the time I'm writing full-time. So I, I kind of balance two, two careers. I, I don't like, it's hard for me to work in a business capacity and write in the same day. Like I, when I'm writing, I really need to be kind of like, I need, I need all, I need all the room there is. Right. So when I'm working, I can, I'm better at that date and time thing because I kind of have to be, cause I work in like film production logistics, but when I'm not working, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's up and what's down. So <laughs> I'm, I, I have like six reminders to be here today. So I, <laughs> and then you'd remind me again. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just, I yeah, I just, just sent you a link. It's no big deal. You know, no, I, I feel you. Yeah, I feel like the only way I know what day it is, is based on my daughter's schedule because I know like what day my mother comes over to my house to look after while I'm working. And then what day she goes to her, to my mother-in-law's. And uh, I know, I know, we had we had spoken earlier that I, I thought I wasn't going to have childcare today. And I got lucky that I did. So. Oh, good. <laughs> no sleeping, no sleeping baby in the other room. No, no, not, not this him? time. Yeah. All right. No, I, I have Let's done that before, crazy. though. Yeah, I did. I did have a. So I did a, which, which I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar. I did a, a virtual convention back in January, um, and I did have one day where I was doing childcare and also hosting three panels. And oh luckily gosh. they ended up uh, like kind of overlapping with their naps. So it wasn't too bad, but right. it was, uh, it was kind of but exhausting. You never know. Yeah. Never know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay. Up. So, so she normally goes down at two. So I'm like, okay, this panel has got to start at two. So I got to get her down like five minutes before and just cross my fingers that she stays down for at least an hour. <laughs> Cause yeah. I was like, I can I, handle, I can handle crying for 10 or 15 minutes, but I don't know if I could do right. it for 45. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm a little older and my son is now 20. So I don't have to worry about, you know, I just want to, I just kind of make, you know, I text him every now and then to make sure he's, you know, uh, 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 happy and breathing and all that good stuff. But otherwise, he comes and goes as he wants. Yeah, so it's yeah. A lot more, a lot more freedom when they get older. Oh uh, yeah. See, like we're we're getting onto the point. She'll be one next month, so she's already starting to like explore walking on her own. Uh, that's, a fine, that's a fine time. I mean, it is. I mean, craw crawling's been insane because you know, as soon as she like figured it out, she was on the go constantly, which is great for nighttime sleep, but it's not good for like trying to get anything done during the day. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and you so got to go get all those like padded corners and like the doorknob things yeah. and the cabinet locks and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember going through all that. It was 
It was interesting. Yeah, we we haven't done that yet. She um she's just like now realizing she can open and close cabinets. But mm. her issue is is she like she like opens it and closes it about five times. It's almost like an OCD thing. And then she opens it and then sticks her head in and doesn't realize the cabinet like is still there and it just kind of knocks her and she like stands there yeah. for a minute and then just keep that consuming it again. So yeah, as so long as she's that, not getting that, in pulling stuff out. <laughs> hey man, that's a school of hard knocks. You know, you gotta learn. I know. Keep, yeah, keep, keep Devin Burners on. She'll learn sooner or later. I know. That's what I told my wife. I was like, you know, she'll do it once. Maybe she'll learn from it. If she does it twice, she'll really learn. Yeah. Um, but you know, as long as it's not like super dangerous, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it. So right. <laughs> so um, let's kind of get into things. Um, I just want to know. You know, tell me about yourself. Tell me about growing up. Um, you know, kind of how you got into writing and screenwriting, and then kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've always been, um, I've always been a writer. I, I, I wrote my first short story when I was in the third grade and I fell madly passionately in love with writing. Um, I knew from that age on that I wanted to be a writer. Um, that was what I wanted to do for a living. Um, which is very fortunate, I think to have that, um, knowledge at such an early age and to never lose that passion. Um, you know, going on 40 years later, um, and yeah, so I'm, I was, I was actually born and raised in a city called Southfield, which is just outside of Detroit, Michigan, uh, very near about three miles from where Josh Mallerman currently lives. Uh, interestingly enough. So we've spent a Christmas together here and there. Um, and, uh, when I go back to visit that is, and, uh, and then I moved to LA where I currently live, um, uh, in the, uh, by 91, 92, and I've been out here ever since, um, working in the film industry. I worked at a, I worked for House of Blues Entertainment for a while. I owned a bookstore, a rare book bookstore and art gallery in Venice Beach for about ten years. Um, but all that time, I was always writing. I was writing. I you know I self published a novel, you know, back in the '90s, and um, and and wrote three novels um, while I was doing all that other stuff. Uh, and it was um, and then and then yeah, around ten years ago, I wrote. My first screenplay, uh, it was a job for hire, uh, and I wrote it for uh, it was for a movie that was eventually distributed by Disney, um, and then I ended up doing multiple screenplays for that same production company, all of which were part of this these kids movies that Disney did, these buddy movies like Snow Buddies and Treasure Buddies and Spooky Buddies and all that kind of stuff, um, not horror, um, but I but I enjoyed it, and um, and then I had a movie. Uh, come out uh, shoot, about 2018, I think. I wrote a movie called, a script called um, Girl Missing. And that came out on Lifetime Television uh, a few years back. So it's available on demand actually through Amazon. Um, if anyone ever wants to watch Girl Missing starring Francesca Eastwood. Um, and so I was kind of doing the screenwriting thing. And then uh, around 2015, I actually was trying to write a screenplay based on a Laird Barron story. And I, uh, and I got in touch with him and his agent and we talked about it It ended up not working out, uh, for financial reasons. Um, but Laird and I kind of hit it off and we became friends. And right around the same time, I said, I kind of had this weird lightning strike epiphany, um, which was that I grew up reading horror. I loved horror, but I'd never really written horror. All the stuff that I'd written up to that point 
um, as far as uh, fiction was concerned, was literary fiction. It was dark, like the characters were brooding or depressed or, you know, had dark sides to them, but it was not horror. And and uh, and I wasn't, it wasn't really going anywhere. I wasn't really having any success. I couldn't get an agent. I couldn't sell anything. And so, yeah, like I said, I had this sort of lightning strike epiphany. And I remember calling my wife very excited and said, why am I not writing horror fiction? Uh, and so I tried. And the first story I wrote, I sent to Laird uh, to read, to tell me if it was, if I should stop before I, you know, before I begin, don't, you know, don't, don't you know, don't give up the day job kind of thing. And he was very complimentary and very um, uh, energized about the work. And uh, and he gave me some great feedback that helped me tremendously, that still helps me tremendously. Um, and that story was Mother, which ended up, I then sent on, I then rewrote and sent it on to Jared, uh, uh, um, uh, Dunham's Manor Press, uh, Jordan Crawl at Dunham's Manor Press. And that was the first publisher I'd sent it to. It was the first time I'd ever submitted a story. And he accepted it within an hour, I think. Wow. And uh, and then I had sent it, Laird did a blurb for me. I sent it to Paul Tremblay. He did a blurb for me. And this is Paul, I think this was right before uh, Head Full of Ghosts came out. So I knew of Paul, but I didn't, I don't think he was, you know, he, he, he was still relatively, um, you know, it hadn't quite come out with all the, the new novels that are doing, doing really well now. So mm -hmm. I had these cover blurbs, which I, looking back on now, I'm like, oh my God, how did I do that? Like back from Laird Barron and Paula Tremblay and the book came out and it did, and it sold really well. And then uh, I wrote another story called Alter and Dunham's Manor put that story out. I think, uh, I think it was a year later and that story kind of blew up and that led to me getting an offer for a story collection from Journalstone. And that became Behold the Void, and I was off and running. And then from then, I've just been, you know, I think I've published since, I think I've published about 20 short stories. Um, I've published two novellas, the collection, and then I have another collection, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, coming up in June. And then I had my first novel coming out on Halloween. Uh, and, and I have um, uh, other book or books coming out in 2022, uh, which is very close to being able to announce as well. Um, I'm actually just finalizing the contract with um, with the publisher and my agents working with the publisher to finalize the contract points. So things are going really well. And I've kind of stopped writing screenplays um, and really focused on the fiction writing. And in, in a way I've had more success from the film industry perspective with the with the fiction writing because I've had three short stories optioned, two of which were optioned by large studios and are currently under option with these large production companies. Um, and, but haven't been publicly announced, but, uh, but you know, which is amazing, which, so it's kind of like, uh, it's so much easier for me than because the screenwriting is really hard and we can talk a bit about it, but it's really hard because it's not like fiction at all because you're not writing a story and every word is, up to you and every decision is up to you and every plot choice is up to you. It's like, you're basically creating a framework from which other people will build a story. Actors, directors, producers, the studio. Like when I did Girl Missing, I did I think 28 rewrites of that screenplay. Wow. Um, 
the end product of which was still the main story, but definitely very different budgetary reasons, you know, all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> I wrote another screenplay that was bought, but never actually got produced. Where it was the same thing for like a year, I was doing nothing but rewrites and it's not fun and it's not pleasant. Um, and, um, and I'm very glad, and I'd much rather we just sell the short story to somebody and say, just have, enjoy. I'll think, you know, I'll wait for the check and yeah. I'll keep writing, I'll keep <laughs> writing like, more fiction. Just, just credit me at the end. <laughs> yeah, make sure, <laughs> I have, do what you may. <laughs> make sure I get paid and God bless. Let some other screenwriter guy spend a year writing that thing 400 times. I'd, right. I'd, I'd, I'd rather write another book. Yeah. So it's, so it's almost like writing an outline for somebody else to like critique and, and bring to life, I guess. And then they're like, yeah, okay, I mean, fix, fix this and, and come back to us and we'll see if it works. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and, and you, and, I mean, it's still the story for the most part. I mean, but you read about stuff like this all the time, even like, especially when you get into big budget movies where they have like 18 screenwriters or whatever. And, and yes, basically you're, you know, you are creating a framework and, but there's so much involved with screenwriting. It's not just the story. It's like, can we afford all these locations? Can we afford a car crash? Can we afford an explosion? Uh, you know, when the, when the casting began for the Lifetime movie, uh, you know, my 68 year old, seven foot tall butler became a five foot two, 50 year old, uh, you know, Hispanic actress. So, you know, and who was great, uh, you know, and I ended up becoming friends with, with her, but, and, and, but it was like, okay, I got to do a whole rewrite because now none of that guy's actions or dialogue make any sense. Um, and there's things that happen on the day where you're at a location and there's a weird way the doors open. This literally happened. And the director's like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had this sort of like play on the doors with the actors and I was like, sure. So I would like run to the the kitchen that we were in the house that we were filming in, and I would literally rewrite the scene on the spot, and then they would print those pages out for the for the actors. That so sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fun. That part of it's actually pretty fun. It's fun to be there, and it's a living thing, and all these people. But when you're going through the whole like, we're gonna do another conference call with the studio people and the director and the producer, and and they're all gonna give a give feedback on all the things they don't like about the screenplay or they want changed or whatever that is exhausting because a lot of times what'll happen is, and I've had this conversation with other screenwriters is it's, it becomes sort of a treadmill where like they're, or they'll just be like, so vague, like I'm not feeling this character. It's like, that does not, I don't know what to do with that information. Or they'll be like, Hey, what if we did this? And I'll be like, that's a great idea that's how it was originally 16 drafts ago. So we're now going in circles. And that has literally happened to me multiple times. So it becomes, it does become exhausting and it feels like it's a, it, it, it's a, just a different, it's a completely different skill set. Um, and I much rather, believe me, I love writing fiction. Uh, and I love the idea that I write it, I sell it. And what I write is what goes out. And then, like I said, if somebody wants to option the movie and rewrite it into something completely different, as long as the check clears and as long as I get my credit, we're good. Yeah. I, I was always wanted that because, you know, a lot of people complain when, you know, there's a, a book based movie and they're like, Oh, this is nothing like the book, you know, but if you, if you really look at it, it says, you know, based on 
X book yeah. by so and so. I'm like, you know, it's it's never going to be the same because, like you said, I mean, budgetary reasons, you know, are probably a big thing because there's a lot of things yeah. that happen in in fiction that you literally can't do without a lot of money behind it, especially yeah, if you're and, a smaller studio. And it's just you can like in a novel, you can have, you know three story threads. You can have your A story, your B story, your C story. You can have all these secondary characters. You can have, you know, and to your point, you can have giant crowd scenes, you know. Um, and the reality is when you get into making a movie, you have 90 minutes. You know, you and most novels as written would never be able to film in a 90 minute movie. So um, yeah, so stuff has to be cut, stuff has to be changed. And I, I, I do, I think what happens with those incidents where you mentioned people get unhappy is because people fall in love with the book and they want to see that book and on screen. But the reality is it's two different art forms. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, they're not, it's not apples to apples. And, um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, get frustrated with that, but that's the reality. It's just, it's just two different, it's like, it's like if you were to make one of my stories into a painting, you know, or whatever, another piece of music, it's, it's just different. If you have to experience it differently and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I, I think, I think a lot of the, the issue comes behind is people are like, well, I, I don't really want to read the book again. I would, but I'd rather watch a movie because it's, it takes a lot less time. <laughs> yeah. I want to experience it again. And then they yeah. experience it and they're like, well, I should have probably just read the book again. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and there's always that, there's the eternal debate. Do you read the if you have the option, do you read the book before you see the movie or do you see the movie before you read the book? I well, personally I always, always read the book first. Me too. I always read yeah. the book before I see the movie, if I can. And there's a lot of times I'll see a TV show coming out or, or a, a series coming out or a movie coming out based on a book. And I'll be like, ooh, and I'll jump on Amazon and I'll, and I'll buy it or download it really quick because I want to read it. Because it's very interesting to me also as a screenwriter. And, you know, and it may, that may be a medium I attack again at some point. Um, maybe in my own one of my own stories or something, but um, it does fascinate me how different um, how writers go about translating the stories. Mm -hmm. um, I just watched uh, uh, "Those Who Wish Me Dead," the Michael Carita movie uh, book novel that just was released as a as a film um, with Angelina Jolie, and and it was and he wrote the screenplay. Or at least he was one of the screenwriters, and I thought it was really fast. I just was. I was almost as interested seeing how he adapted his own story as I was in the movie itself. Um, that TV sh series Shadow and Bone is a fascinating example. Um, the showrunner, who uh, who is the guy who's responsible for writing everything, and he kind of controls the creative. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy who wrote like Arrival. He wrote Bird Box, the movie, uh, and he it was his first series, I think. So, and he adapted the Lee Bard Bardugo novel of the same name mm -hmm. and i thought what he did was very interesting he actually created characters because that was a series so he actually created new characters in order to kind of flesh out what was in the books which i thought was an interesting twist um on the traditional uh book to screen adaption model but it ended up working out really well i thought i did a great job eric heiser i think is his name but mm -hmm. anyway I gotcha. Yeah, I, I try to do the same thing. I try to I try to read the book before I see the movie, but there there are times where like my wife will be intrigued by something and we end up watching it. So like we did uh like I, I haven't read Behind Her Eyes, but she really wanted to watch the the series on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And now that I've watched it, I'm like, 
Well, now, but but now I know. Like, do I need to go read the book now? <laughs> but I still well, sometimes, like I want to. sometimes the twist in the book, in the movie, is not the twist in the book. Exactly. But yeah, that's a, that that book is all about the twist. Um, yeah, for sure. I haven't seen the show. I read the book, and I'm kind of like, I'm good. I don't really need to see a, a TV show version of that. Um, but uh, yeah, but if you haven't read the book, I'm sure it's a, a lot of fun to watch it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, did the same thing with uh, with John Mars, the one. Now the show that they did is is vastly different from the book um, that that's on Netflix. Um, but but my wife and I both enjoyed it, and I was like, I kind of like it because I really enjoyed the book and I really enjoyed the show for what it was because it it mm. took the story, it literally just took the premise and then kind of went off on another avenue. Uh, yeah. and, and I thought it was really great. And I'm, I'm assuming they're going to expand it to a second season. I'm not sure, but I haven't seen it or read the book, but yeah, it's always a little, I mean, if, if, if you, if you've dabbled in both mediums, it is, it's a, it is fascinating to kind of compare and contrast, especially when the writer, um, is so if it's a novelist does the, does the adaption, like, you know, with gone girl <clears throat> and, you know, Jillian Flynn did the, her own adaption. So I, I just find it interesting to see how they, how they do it, how they pull off certain things. It's, it's, it's educational for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, what, uh, what is the, I, I don't know if fascination is the right word, but with like short stories, because it seems like you know, you've got a ton of short stories out. I mean, you've got, you'll have two collections now. Uh, I know you've got several for sale, uh, you know, on, on Amazon and, and Kobo and so forth. Um, is short story just like the medium of choice or is it just something that you're like, I can't flesh the story out more to make it into like a novella or a novel or, um, you know, was just novel writing, just not something you wanted to do until you're like, I think I'm going to write a novel. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I'd written, I'd written a few novels before. Um, and those may or may not see the light of day, but, but, um, but I, you know, I, I know what happened was I fell into it. Like I said, and I wrote mother and altar and, and, and I was having some success selling short stories. And the difference between writing a short story and a novel from a sales perspective is, if you write a short story, um, you can, the, I wanna say the odds are good, but the odds are much better that you can sell that story than they are if you write a novel, because a story you have multiple outlets, you can, you know, there's magazines, there's anthologies, there's websites, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of different people publishing uh, short story work. And there's a lot of people publishing novels, but the difference is when you have a novel, you know, you either have to find a publisher who's willing to pick it up and it's a much bigger commitment on their part because it's like, okay, we're gonna spend all this money and we're gonna hopefully give you at least a, a small advance and, and we're gonna publish this thing. And it, it's a bigger deal. Or you have to, you know, get an agent and then the agent's gonna represent the novel to bigger publishers. So it's just kind of a bigger deal. Um, and it's a much bigger commitment, obviously, to write one. Like I can write a short story in about a week. Um, I can, you know, I can write a novel in about three months. So including edits and everything. So so it's a much bigger commitment. And the, and the question is, do you wanna commit that much time uh, without really knowing for sure, or you're feeling like you have a good opportunity, you know, good chance to sell it. So I think what happened was I just started writing short stories because I was having success selling them. Um, uh, and I enjoyed the story collection. And then I had an agent, um, I got an agent and, uh, 
who was going to represent me for a deal that a tie-in movie adaption deal that ended up falling apart at the 11th hour. Um, but he continued to represent me and he, and I had a conversation once where he was basically like, look, you can keep writing short stories all you want and you can have a very nice life writing <laughs> short stories in the sense that, you know, um, you can create all this wonderful content. You can be a happy person, but you're not going to make any money or, you can focus on writing novels and actually try and make this a career. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily that was the reason I started transitioning novels, but it did open my eyes a little bit to be like, to the point of like, you know what, maybe this is the right time to start transitioning um, into longer form fiction. And I, so I, so I did. So I think uh, I started writing a novel um, in 20, I want to say 2017. Uh, and it became this huge sprawling behemoth of a novel um and and that is probably that book is probably going to come out next year um it's i haven't can't announce it yet but it, it's a it's a bigger bigger trade publisher so that's probably going to come out next year and then after i wrote that i, I wrote i wrote like a, a you know a slew of short stories and then i wrote another novel and then you know more short stories. Then I wrote another novel and wrote some short stories, and now I'm writing another novel. So I've kind of made the decision that, and I'm now my third agent, by the way. So um, I made the decision that uh, I want to try and make this a career uh, versus hobby is the wrong word, but versus just something I do for strictly for the passion of it. I would like to be able to. I still do it for the passion of it, but I would also like to be able to do it you know, full time or at least, um, more than half uh, of my time, free time. Cause I, cause I, cause I do love writing stories. So I'm trying to basically monetize all this, you know, all this output. Um, and the best way to monetize the output is by writing novels. And now I've, and I really love writing novels. And, and I think part of the success I've had with writing short stories is because of my screenwriting background, I've had training on how to write, um, a, a story from the sense of, I know, you know, there's, I know the beats that come that, that put together a story, you know, with a beginning and middle and, and a satisfying end. So a lot of my work is, feels very much like either a short film or whatever, because they're full complete storylines. And so novel writing wasn't really that much of a leap. I had done it before and I knew I could do it. So it was really just a matter of structuring the story I wanted to tell and then sitting down and doing the the work. So um, so I still love writing short stories. I, I just turned in a short story a couple of days ago um, for an anthology. Um, but I'm now but I'm now really really focused on finishing this new novel um, because that's where I that's kind of that's where I want to go. I think Josh Mallerman is a great example. Uh, Paul Tremblay is a good example of guys who who kind of live in both ponds. Uh, mm -hmm. They write a lot of novels but they're still but they're still working the short story field because it is a lot of fun and frankly from it sounds kind of uh, uh scrooge mcduckie but or duck what's his name is that scrooge McDuck, mcduck is it mcduck is it scrooge mcduck i'm, I'm not you sure know, the, guy, McDuck is, the guy <laughs> swims in the, the guy swims in the the coins but anyway yeah. um <laughs> it, it sounds a little materialistic and very non-artistic but the reality is um that um 
that with short stories, you have a much better opportunity to potentially option um, to movies for movie and TV um, because short producers much prefer to option a short story than they do a novel. Um, they want to buy the hook, <clears throat> they want to buy the premise, and they want to hire their own screenwriter to develop it into the movie they can afford to make. So there's a lot of good reasons to kind of keep going in both in both fields. But the primary reason is because I love writing short st stuff, but I'm, I equally, equally now love writing novels and I'm getting better at it as I go. Um, I'm getting a better sense of pacing. Um, <clears throat> this is now my, uh, what I'm writing right now is my fourth novel I've written in the, over the last couple of years. So um, it's a thriller versus horror. So, um, and I feel like I've really got my pants on now as it were to, in the sense that I, I kind of feel like I really know what I'm doing much more than I did when I wrote that first horror novel. So it's it's been a good experience and it's been, and I'm really enjoying the process. I gotcha. Um, who uh, who were some of your your writing influences over the years or who, who have been or who continue to be? Um, <clears throat> well, I always say Laird Barron is probably the biggest influence uh, on me. Um, you know, he was an early mentor for me and really helped me develop some much needed skills. Um, in writing fiction and had some amazing feedback. And we talk a lot and and he's still, you know, I think he's read pretty much everything I've written. I, I sent him a lot of stuff before I sent it to a publisher um, to help me, you know, to see if he has any thoughts or, um, <clears throat> and and I really enjoy getting his feedback and his writing. You know, I there's uh, there are certain writers who whose writing transcends the story um, and, and another way I would put it is they have a, such a singular, unique voice that when you read their work, you you know it's, you know, you it has a different feel, a different texture than maybe like another writer. And Laird Barron's has no equal in that regard. Like when you read a Laird Barron story, it's so dense and, and you get so immersed and he has such a way of, you know, making the language physical and um and it's so brooding and dark and you know he's such an amazing uh amazing writer um paul tremblay again same way like i feel like paul has such a unique voice when i read a paul tremblay story it has a kind of like really light you know stone skipping sort of like buoyancy to it but like he really throws those punches um and uh so you know i i really like reading writers like that because i like reading other voices um as a writer named Ralph Robert Moore, who is a big inspiration, he writes uh, very visceral prose, like uh, shocking, you know, uh, prose and um, you know shocking violence and, uh, but not gratuitous. Like it's 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 you just you can almost feel what he's describing. And and he was a he was a, a big influence on me as well. So, um, you know, and even like reading guys like Josh Mallerman. And, uh, you know, guys like Joe Lansdale, of course, uh, you know, there's a lot to be taken from from reading that kind of stuff. I do read a lot and I, I read a lot of nonfiction, but I also read a lot of fiction. I like seeing how people are doing different things. Um, I even, you know, I read really mainstream fiction because, uh, you know, I like reading like, like, like I said, how, how they pull stuff off 
what kind of pacing they use, um, you know, what tricks they employ. So most of my reading is very, is for educational purposes, although I do enjoy a lot of the stuff I read, but I also am always reading with an ear for the prose and the writing style and just how they, how they do different things, especially now that I'm, I'm writing a thriller. Um, I've been reading a lot of thrillers and I'm very interested in the structure of those, you know, thrillers, modern thrillers and, and how they, how they kind of let the pieces fall and, you know, how they assemble the puzzle and then solve it at the end or whatever. So there's a, I, I enjoy a wide berth of, you know, different stuff. I gotcha. Yeah. One of the, one of those books that I'm kind of looking forward to the, <laughs> to the adaptation is uh, the last house on needless street. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that one yet, but yeah, uh, wards wards prose in that book was, is kind of like you talked about with Laird and, and Paul and them is, it's if you really feel it and it's very different from anything else. And I mean, just within like the first few pages, then I was just hooked in that book because the way she wrote her characters, the way, the way that she wrote their perspectives, it was just yeah. it was so different. Um, yeah. And it just, it engaged me. I mean, I, I flew through that book. It was, it was so good. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. And that's again, an interesting, uh, an interesting way to write a story, right? Yeah. She had a very specific agenda um, and that story was as much about structure as it was prose, but to your point, the prose is great and she had a very unique style. So that was a really fascinating book to read. I, I you know, I, I, I learned a lot reading that book and, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about your books. Um, so your, your, I guess your, your peace day resistance so far, uh, has been behold the void has been your, your big short story collection. You've won a couple of best of, uh, awards for that, uh, short story collection and a couple of bigger awards. Tell, tell us a little bit about, um, I guess that collection as a whole, and then maybe a little bit about some of the stories that are involved. Yeah. So that's, that collection is sort of like a nice, um, roundup of my, what I would consider, which is sort of ridiculous because I've only been doing this for five years, but my early work, right. Um, uh, so, um, and there's guys who've been doing it for 50 years who are laughing right, right now, but, but right. But it, it's, it's kind of my, it's kind of my first foray into, into short horror fiction or short supernatural thrillers is kind of more of the way I lean, but when describing it, but, um, yeah. And I, I have a copy here. I can show the cover. That's the, that's the cover. Um, so this book, um, it's nine stories. Uh, it's, the mother and altar, which we discussed are in there. Um, so I kind of pulled those chat books off the market and I packaged them into this. Um, and, uh, I probably have more original content in behold the void than I probably will ever have in a future collection because I really wasn't, uh, having, I really wasn't as, um, widely published at the time that book was came out. So I think, I think it's only, I think like of the nine stories, I got, I think like only like three or four of them were previously published. So it's it kind of half and half, which is unusual for a story collection in uh, beneath the pal sky. I think I have two original stories. The rest have been previously published. So, um, but I really enjoyed writing those, those pieces. It does represent kind of like my first, you know, my first efforts, um, but, I, but, but I'm really proud of them and I, and people seem to really like them. Um, I think, um at that time i was still sort of uh and i still am but really seeking my voice you know what kind of stories do i want to tell what kind of how you know how do i want to tell them do i want to have a sort of um a you know certain way of of writing 
the prose for for short stories that kind of identify. And what's been interesting since I wrote that book is I've decided the opposite. I've decided I don't want to have a voice. I, I I like I get very you know as a writer you have to always entertain yourself because there's nobody you don't have a cheering section necessarily. There's no you know boss other than you um, telling you to get to work. So you have to find you have to make sure that you're always engaging yourself as a writer. You have to make sure that it's interesting to you so that it can be interesting to the person reading it. And for me, I like playing with different styles. I was just there and I were just talking about this the other day, which is it's a lot of fun to write really pulpy fiction in one story and the next story maybe write something that's sort of like surrealistic or abstract and the next story try and do something more modern or maybe try and write something in a gothic style. So I really like playing with with different styles. So Behold the Void is kind of, I think, an amalgam of a lot of different styles I was toying with. Um, uh, people seem to, you know, I, this is the weird thing about writing stories in general and writing story collections is you, you like I've literally read Amazon reviews or Goodreads reviews and there's where people have said, you know, I loved The Horse Thief, it was my favorite story in the book, but I really didn't, I really hated Mandala's, so I'm gonna give it three and a half stars or whatever. And the next person will be like, Mandala blew me away, it was the greatest thing I've ever read. I thought the horse thief was a little, you know, was probably the worst story in the collection. I mean, that literally, not those two stories, but that literally has happened. And so it's, it's all, it's all um, subjective, right? It's all, yeah. it's like three people can look at the same painting. They're not all going to like it equally. Um, they're hear the same piece of music or the same song. So it's art. And that's the whole point of art is it's subjective. And um, so a lot of, so I've, it's been very interesting for me. I was a real learning lesson for me as a writer to know that like you can't take any criticism too hard because the next person in line is probably going to feel the opposite way. And so, yeah, Behold the Void, the stories in there, like, like I said, Mother and Altar, um, Mandala, which I mentioned is actually a really uh, a really fun story. It's a novella at the end of the book. That's a real, th real nail biting thriller and people seem to really like it. Um, and then I have a story in there called Fail Safe, um, uh, which is one of the stories that's been optioned and um, that ended up being in Ellen Datlow's Best Horror of the Year. And it was reprinted by Nightmare Magazine. So that, and that story had never been published. And it's actually an interesting um, point with Failsafe, again, if there's writers listening, is that that story was rejected, I think like 13 or 14 times. And uh, when it came time to put together the collection, I really wanted to, Put it into the collection because I loved that story, and I was like, I, I feel like it deserves to be in the collection, even though all these editors didn't want it. Um, I feel like I feel it's a really good story, and then up being arguably the most highly acclaimed story in the in the in the entire collection with with like the best horror nod and and the fact it's been optioned for film and and the fact it's been reprinted. Um, <clears throat> so, so you never know. I mean. Um, and you can't really get down on yourself or get down on a story because it's getting a lot of rejections or because people don't, you know, whatever reason, because I mean, it's, it, it's a game, like, it's just a weird game. Like, like I said, what one person doesn't like, or what 20 people don't like a hundred people might, you just have to get it to that wider audience mm -hmm. and, and see how it goes. So that's, that's behold the void in a nutshell. I say, yeah, I kind of, I kind of realized that whole like subjective nature, um, especially with my blog. I mean, I've got, I've got 25 contributors in my blog now and 
not I don't think we I would say out of 25 people maybe three to five actually agree on the same point for you know say one book um, yeah. where every you know these five people would love the humor out of this book and then it's a turn off for everybody else it, or yeah. you know vice versa it, it's really interesting to see that so yeah to your point I mean you know just because so many editors that you send something to don't like it you maybe just haven't found that one that's just like oh my gosh I'm in yeah. love with this it, and you know you kind of get discouraged and you and you go on but I mean clearly it it, it worked out for you in the end uh yeah with it's the same with novels it's the same with novels you know people get discouraged because they send the novel to 30 agents or editors and they all pass and they're like oh this is you know must be garbage or whatever it's like it's not it's just you got to find the right and you don't want to latch on to an agent or an editor that is half-hearted about a book you want them to love it you know you want them to really want it to succeed and to really believe in you as a as a writer and believe in the book so <clears throat> so yeah so it, it's nothing to get discouraged about it's just perseverance is the key to this game you gotta you know you, you gotta keep working you gotta keep keep creating um and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and 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 eventually the dam will break. I mean, I've been, I've had some really rough stretches. There's been a couple of times where I have definitely been like ready to hang it up because I went through such a, I go through rough, rough stretch of rejections or I wouldn't feel like I was making any progress. And when I, and I just posted on Facebook about this, but when I get that way, I, what I've learned to do is I just, <clears throat> I, I, I put the blinders on. I forget about all that stuff, all the noise about publishing and reviews and, future success or sales or whatever it is. And I focus on the work. It's like me and the story. That's it. That's the only two things in this room. And I really absorb myself into the, into the work. And I, and it reminds me that I enjoy that. And it reminds me of the, of why I do it. And <clears throat> for me, that's got me through some really rough times. So mm -hmm. it's, it sounds simple, but it's kind of a mindset thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you brought that up. I, I talked to Martha Wells a couple of weeks ago uh, and there was a point in her career where she just about gave up writing. And that was prior to all the success that she's had with the Murderbot series. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was like, I, I think I'm done. I don't have a voice. I haven't sold anything in a couple of years. And then, of course, Murderbot hits and then it's just a massive success. And she's yeah. got another you know, set of books that she's already signed on with and everything. It's just yeah. it's crazy. So, I mean, you just don't know uh, unless you just persevere to see yeah. if there's still something <clears throat> there. Uh, I mean, it, I mean. It's on a way smaller scale, but I mean, the same thing with like blogs and stuff. I mean, I, when I first started uh, my blog, I mean, I got like no traction for like years. And, but I was like, I'm just going to keep doing it. I enjoy it. I enjoy reading books and, and, and talking about them. And I mean, it's, I don't, I hate saying I'm a success now, you know, but like I, I feel like I've gotten some kind of success now because I've got a lot of contributors. My, my blog is starting to get blurbs on books and on yep. Amazon and Barnes and Noble and stuff. Like I'm starting to see the blog name everywhere. And I'm like, this is really neat. Like I enjoy this, but I never want to get to the point where I take it for granted. And I'm just like, Oh, I can't believe I didn't do et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know, it, it, there were points in time where I'm like, gosh, I mean, it's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not living up to X expectations. Right. I'm, not, I'm not as good as the next guy, you know, that, that's doing so well. And I, I think a lot of it just came down to, you know, like trying to emulate somebody else. And that's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest, the biggest, you know, pitfall 
you can fall into is comparing yourself to other people. And, and it's hard not to, especially in the age of social media, when it's like, mm-hmm. I sold a book, I sold a book, I sold a book, I sold a book, you know, and you're just like, Motherfucker. and you're, you know, <laughs> and you're, you know, sweating and typing in the middle of the night. Right. Um, <clears throat> but the reality is everyone has their own journey and, and your journey is going to be different than someone else's. And what I was going to say about the, the other thing is um, about the subjectivity is the one thing I think is important for a writer is to, is to have a is to have a voice because if you if you try and com- write the way someone else writes or in the style someone else writes in or people don't people read that writer they don't need their if they read that writer they don't need to read your writing yeah and if you have a if you have a a voice I'm kind of contradicting myself earlier but but people do feel that like can always tell when they're reading a Philip Fracasi story even if it's told in a different style so I'm talking more about voice than I am style but if you can if you can write in a unique voice or write in your voice, right? <clears throat> Eventually you're going to find an audience because someone's going to want to read the way you write. Someone's going to want to hear your voice. Someone's going to want to hear the way you tell something. And, um, and it, you know, maybe it's millions of people and, or maybe it's hundreds of people, but, but, but you'll find an audience. So I think that's why perseverance is important because you just got to find that, that, that entryway. And then once you do, I think you'll see, you'll notice that the crack widens and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm, cause now I'm, there's another writer who's people who are, you know, maybe uh, they also like, cause we're maybe in a similar ballpark. And so now I can kind of tap into that audience and, and maybe mm-hmm. tap into this other audience and you start finding yourself, oh, you know, accumulating a readership and, and it's, it's hard, man. It's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's devastatingly, humiliatingly hard, but it's, you know, it's, I mean, I, for me, it's like, I don't, I, this is what I do. I can't imagine doing anything else. I don't want to do anything else. It's the most fulfilling thing I do in my life. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of forced to find a way and I've, and I've been forced to find a, a way. Um, and so far it's worked out, although it's been bumpy for sure. Yeah. I understand. Well, uh, next I want to talk about your upcoming collection <clears throat> beneath the pale sky, uh, which is coming out on June 18th from yeah. Lith press. So uh, give us an idea of kind of what's going to there. I've, I've seen, you know, you've got blurbs popping up all over the place from some big names like Paul Tremblay. You've got an introduction from Josh Mallerman. I saw Christopher Golden give you a blurb the other day. So I mean, clearly it, it sounds pretty amazing. So uh, I, know, I know a lot of people are going to be excited to get their hands on it. So, uh, what, what, I guess, kind of stories are we looking forward to in that in that collection? Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's, um, I'm really happy with this collection, and um, um, <clears throat> I think it turned out better than I thought it would, and <laughs> in the sense that there, so there's a couple original novella length or novelette length, I guess, stories. You know, probably around fifteen to twenty thousand words that open the book that have never been published. And um, and then the, uh, I think everything else in that book has been previously published. But but so, but a lot of it got published in very small uh, places. You know, one was um, as part of an anthology that was part of a writer convention, and and I and I think they probably only sold you know a couple hundred copies. I have no idea. But so things like that. So it's very exciting for me to get some of this work out into to a wider audience. Um, but as far as the types of stories. I would, I, I don't, I think people who have read Behold the Void will feel they're similar. Um, I do experiment a little bit more um, in these stories. They, I think it's, 
this is probably an example of me kind of expanding my range a little bit, or at least trying to. Um, I tried some different things. I took a, I took some more risks that I probably didn't take in the first batch of stories. Um, you know, this was kind of me feeling, trying to expand my range as it were. So I, I, you know, I tried some different things and I, you know, but for the most part, they're all, they're all supernatural thrillers, they're horror. Um, uh, but there's a couple of stories in here that I think uh, will surprise some people um, and that they're not traditional horror stories. Um, and they're maybe not even a, a thriller, you know, they're just, it's just a story. Um, um, but, <clears throat> but the response has been really great. And um, yeah, you know, everyone from Jonathan Jans to Jeremy Robert Johnson to Christopher Golden to Zoya Stage has, you know, been really, uh, it's been really humbling for me to, to get kind words from those folks. And, um, and Josh doing the introduction, you know, was amazing. And I owe him like three Jack and Cokes for that, I think. Um, and, uh, and, um, and, and it's gotten, you know, for the, this, this is the first book uh, that's gone out to press as it were um, publishers, weekly book list, library journal, um, behold the void for multiple reasons did not go through that process. So, um, so it's been exciting and uh, interesting <clears throat> for me um, to kind of see that part of the thing. And I've gotten great reviews from Booklist. I got a great, you know, a, I, I would say a positive review from um, Publishers Weekly. Uh, and I know the Library Journal review is coming out soon. And, and a little bird told me it was also very positive. So that's great, obviously, for me to hear. Um, yeah. It's very rewarding for all the work you put in. But I'm really excited about it. Um, I think it's really entertaining. Uh, in, in my stories, I strive to entertain first. And, and then everything else comes after that. Um, I don't want people to be bored reading my work. I don't want people to forget about a story three minutes after they finished reading it. So I try to make my stories impactful and I try to make them emotionally charged and I try to make them fun, you know, um, and sort of crazy. I mean, that's part of it is again, going back to that, like keeping yourself interested is I never want to write a story that I don't want to read. And if I'm writing a story and I'm getting to a point where I'm like, geez, you know what? This is kind of like boring me. Like, or it's like, oh, now I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this. And if I feel that way, I'll stop. And I'll be like, wait a minute, what if we just turn this thing around and look at, look at it from a different way and, and maybe find a different way to go with this. Um, and then I get excited again and I kind of, you know, go that way. So I always try and keep myself really engaged so that, and I think that comes across when you're reading someone's work, if, I think if the writer is bored writing it, I think it comes across. So I always try to make sure I'm having fun and I'm engaged with the work so that, you know, I feel the odds are better that the reader will feel the same way. I gotcha. Um, and then I want to talk about, uh, what's up? I don't have a copy to show. I'm sure you might, but uh, I want to talk about a little bit about Boys in the Valley. So you're, I guess we'll call it your, your debut, right? Your debut novel yeah. uh, that's going to be yeah. coming out uh, around Halloween from Earthling. So can you tell us a little bit about what to expect from your debut novel? And then got a nice little blurb on there from Andy Davidson. He's one of, one of my favorite horror writers. Uh, 
uh, which yeah. which I know he gave you a shout out during TBR con, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Andy's Andy's a, Andy's a great guy and uh, and a wonderful wonderful writer, and he was kind enough to do the introduction to Boys in the Valley, so he's got an intro in there, uh, which is something that Earthling does for their special editions. <clears throat> so it's interesting because um, so that's coming out on Halloween. I don't have a physical copy. I don't have an arc or anything yet, but the cover was just revealed um, on my Facebook page. You can see it or my Twitter account page um <clears throat> or on earthlings page um but yeah that was interesting because uh paul paul miller is the publisher and he approached me and, and he kind of said hey do you have any novels floating around i'm kind of i'm a fan of your short your short work and i literally had just finished writing a novel um and and i had another novel which was currently being shopped by my agent and I had the other novel, which at the time hadn't been sold, it has been since. Um, and so I was like, well, these are the novels I have. One is I just kind of finished, so it still needs some time in the oven, so to speak. And the other two are, you know, here and here. <clears throat> and the one he liked was the one I just finished, liked by meaning it fit for what he wanted to do. He had to read all three. But but he liked the, the, the length and he liked the concept and stuff like that. And um, and so, so <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I would like to buy this novel and publish it. And I was like, that's awesome. I need to rewrite it really fast <laughs> because it's, it's like my second draft you just read. So I, I really cranked out, um, like I really, you know, spent a lot of time at, tied to my desk doing a, doing an intensive rewrite um, and, you know, polish of that book. And uh, it's about, uh, and I, and I love it. The thing is, uh, um, my novels, a few of the novels, a couple, not all of them, but but a couple of the novels I've written, including that one, are based actually on my own screenplays um, that I wrote and never sold or never got produced. And so it was, it, I was able to kind of streamline the process because I had the story written. Um, I knew all the beats. I knew all the characters. I, I had the characters all in my head already. So it was, even though it's a very different, Thing to not to write a novel because uh, there's a lot more that comes into it than just you know you know cutting and pasting the screenplay but um but so it allowed me to kind of work a little faster and 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 to play with some things a little you know uh, that i that i was able to kind of look at what i already had and be like well i could do this a little bit differently or i could make this character a little bit different so um so it's about um it's about an orphanage a boy's orphanage at the turn of the century and it's a kind of this rural middle of nowhere orphanage set into this Pennsylvania Valley and um, historically accurate for the most part as to that these types of things existed and where they existed and how they were run. And, um, and I had this idea of like, um, what if this, um, I don't wanna give anything away, but I was kind of like, what if this sort of evil permeated this remote location of these semi-abused boys, um, you know, very young, we're talking like ages six to 16, right? So young boys and, um, and it just kind of, and so that's kind of the basis of the story. It's sort of, I kind of described the elevator pitches, Lord of the Flies meets the exorcist. Um, so it's a lot about, but it, it, it goes deep. There's a lot of uh, deeper themes I get into like, you know, set things like, what does it mean to, to sacrifice 
what does it mean to, to you know, what is uh, to have a friendship? Um, and so, so that's, that's, just, that's what the basic gist of the story is. So I'm really excited for people to read it. I'm totally shocked. It's the first book that I wrote that's coming out because a child alone with strangers, which is a big 650 page novel, um, was the, was the, was the first horror novel I wrote. Um, uh, so, and then I wrote another one called Gothic and then I wrote Boys in the Valley. So the fact that Boys in the Valley is the first one to come out is kind of bizarre, but happily so. I say it, it probably it you know probably bodes well for your other two because uh, I, I think yeah. I, I saw you mention something about about gothic uh, on Facebook. Is that is that the one you're working? I guess reworking on right now. No, so I have a okay. So I have the big novel Child Alone with Strangers, which I have sold, um, which is coming to come out next year, but it hasn't been announced yet. Uh, and hopefully that same publisher will pick up another book, maybe even two other books. We'll see. Um, uh that's that should all be announced over the next four to six weeks um because it's going to be like a press release and stuff and then um and then gothic was a book that i've had i i wrote um uh two years ago i think i think i finished at the end of 20 yeah i finished it at the end of 2021 and right before the pandemic hit and um and that's currently being shopped by my agent so she's trying to sell that one so that one's still quote unquote up for grabs um and then the one i'm writing right now which i just which i which i'm about twenty five thousand words into i just started it a couple of weeks ago um it's called uh the blue butterfly and it's a thriller and um and kind of a little more traditional mainstream novel than than the other three in the sense that it's more of a thriller versus horror but there is definitely some horrific elements um but it's more of a mystery supernatural mystery um and i'm really hoping that um i can uh write this one as part of a trilogy so the hope is to write blue butterfly and then i have two other follow-ups um that i've already have summaries for and i i, I kind of know what's going to happen and that's in that character storyline so uh the hope is that once it's finished i'll probably have it finished um by end of june and then uh, hand it over to my agent. And then once she um, hopefully finds someone who's interested in it, uh, my hope, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, is that she, we'll be able to package it as a trilogy because because um, that would be my that would be my my goal would be to write spend the next couple of years writing writing these three books. Um, and uh, but you know we'll see. I mean that's the thing about writing is you you never know. Uh, and you know I could write this thing and and, I, and may I have another idea. And I write that and I sell it in, you know, a week. And then, you know, this one's still hanging on the vine a year from now. So you don't know. And that's why I kind of tell people like, just keep creating, like keep mm -hmm. making the donuts because, you know, and I'm, and I understand it's different for different people. People have different schedules. They have different lives and they, you know, they, they write at a certain pace or whatever. And so I'm not saying don't lean on one novel. If that's what you have, it's awesome. But if you can, but the more you can work, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And and for me, I just, if I could sit at my desk for 10 hours a day, every day, man, I'd, I'd be the happiest guy in the world, you know? And, um, and I, I just love creating. And I have so many, so many, so many stories in my head. I mean, I have a hard drive called ideas. It's, you know, in the hundreds now. And it's just a matter of finding the time to, to get them all out. Um, but, 
but uh, but I'm I hope to have that time. I hope to get. You know, I figure I have about twenty years <laughs> or so, maybe twenty, maybe thirty if I'm lucky. Um, and uh, and that's all I want. You know, hopefully, I can get as much of this stuff out into the world as as I can. I gotcha. Um, and now I know you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, was it Commodore? Is that a oh your, yeah yeah new little little novella? Yeah, so I, can show, I show I I revealed this cover <clears throat> on social media a little bit ago, but this is Commodore. And this is actually the limited edition jacket. There's going to be a trade edition, a hardcover trade edition, and a limited edition um, of, I think, 77 copies. And the trade edition will be wide. But it's illustrated. Uh, it's got like four or five illustrations, paintings inside of it. Um, and it's coming from Strange Eons. Um, it's their first book, you know, Strange Eons Magazine, the same publishers. Um, but this will be their first foray into book publishing. Um, and I think I can probably show you one of the, I don't think Kelly will get mad at me. He might, I don't care. <laughs> I can take him. But this is sort of, you know, gives you an idea of like, that it's really beautifully illustrated. Um, and uh, the fun thing about the Commodore, or about Commodore is it's just going to pop out. Like a baby you didn't know was there. <laughs> it's just going to be, <laughs> I don't know when it's coming. It, he could literally post the page for it later today i have no idea or it could be in two weeks or it could be in the two months i don't know because um he's he's his uh you know they're just kind of like um <clears throat> they just want to like as soon as it's ready to go it's going to go out so gotcha. um so i'm as curious as anybody but it could be any it could be any day that that'll become available so i'm trying to keep a list of people who have told me they want one of the limited editions so i can at least email them really quick and be like okay it's up um <laughs> hurry up I want, my, I want my readers to be happy right but yeah. um uh but yeah so hopefully that'll come out um very soon so for so for this year i have the beneath the pale sky that novella and then and on halloween um boys in the valley the debut novel and then i have like three four um stories in different anthologies that are still coming out this year one from PS Publishing, um, uh, some some different anthologies and stuff, and then I'm also going to have a deluxe. There's going to be a short run deluxe edition of Beneath the Pale Sky that Independent Legions is doing. Uh, I don't know when that's coming out, and then I have a few foreign uh, press editions, a, a, a Spanish edition, um, an Italian edition of Behold the Voids coming out, uh, and um, and maybe a Czech edition well that you know, gum so. lots of the, yeah lots of different <laughs> stuff yeah yeah that's yeah, a lot of stuff year. happening <laughs> but you know it's comparative but this is the this is what i'm saying about this is how it goes you got to ride the you know you can't get too high or too low because you know 2019 uh and 2018 frankly were 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 you know really dry years and i was spending a lot of that time i was spending writing this big novel that's coming out next year but but um you know i there was a i think a window of about 18 months where I don't think I had anything come out. So it's kind of, and I, it's kind of, you know, and now it's like, oh my God, I have too much stuff coming out. You know what I mean? It's like, people are going to be so sick of me, but, um, but you can't, you know, I can only control so much. You can't, you know, uh, you know, when something sells or when something breaks or when something is released, the author only has so much control over that. And so um, the fact that I'm kind of a lot of stuff is hitting at once uh, is a lot of fun, but I also feel like, um, I feel like I'm really saturating the the marketplace, and I don't want people to get sick of me. But but you know, 
but you know, I like I said, I don't, I can't control it. But I like having stuff come out. It's a lot of fun. And right. I have like, oh, and I have a, um, I have a book of poems coming out called Tomorrow Is Gone. Uh, that's coming out this fall Good from grief. hybrid hybrid <laughs> sequence media. And then next year I'll have the big novel, and I have a children's book, and then, and then we'll see. I, you know, depending on the weather, this publisher buys. Or whatever happens with these other, you know, books and stories, I don't know. Yeah. So I got a nice right now. There's a lot of stuff coming out. So hopefully people enjoy it. And and and, um, you know, I, I just want I want you know my like I I just want people to, I just want people to be happy. I want people to read the, these books and be like that was, great. That man, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. You know, or and and because that makes me really happy. You know, that's what mm -hmm. that's that's what I. That's like the best reward for me, and 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 so I just hope, I hope people have those experiences. Yeah. Um, last question I got for you: uh, anything you've read here recently that you'd recommend? Um, yeah, I was gonna, gee, you know, I read so much that I, I it tends tend to blur. I um, right now I'm reading a new novel by Josh Mallerman, an unpublished novel. Uh that's been taking up a lot of my time in the best possible way. Um, cause it's, it's, cause it's big. It's, it's really big. It's how dare you? Things. I think I, I think I know which one you're talking about and how dare you? Josh's brain <laughs> is like, ooh, like told man, you're going on a ride. So, uh, it's amazing. But so I've been, I've been reading, I've been reading that. I've been reading the good house by Tanner Reeve do, which I've really, uh, really been enjoying. Um, uh, I have to. I'm going to read Stephen Graham Jones' new one, but I haven't. Re I haven't read yet. I, I haven't, yeah, I'm going to read it right after. I'm doing an interview with him uh, for a Book and Film Globe, so I'll, that'll come out. But um, and yeah, so I, I've been kind of tied up reading. I, I've been kind of tied up reading Josh's book. I keep a list of all my books that I read because I forget. Oh, I, I read a couple novellas by Tyler Jones. Yeah, that I really enjoyed. Yeah, he's got a. Yeah, he wrote yeah. a book on the dark side of the room that's really fun. Um, and he's got a story collection coming out. Um, I read, oh, I read a book by Gordon White that's coming out, um, a, a novella called Rookfield that was really wonderful. Uh, I read uh, um, Ronald Malfi's newest novella um, was great. That's actually out now. Um, uh, let's see. I read Last House on Needle Street. Everyone should read that book. Uh, real, um, seriously though <laughs> yeah uh uh yeah and i read the new one by christina henry it was pretty good um i read uh, a, an unpublished book by fred venturini that was that was pretty good that's coming out i think soon so um those are all those are the ones i've read most recently i will say this i read a book um i read a book uh, earlier this year called the kingdom by joe nesbo yeah that was freaking Awesome. I don't. I've. I've. I had. I. I'd read one of his Harry Hole books before, and I don't remember being kind of this blown away. But I just read The Kingdom, and I was like, "Oh my god, this book is so awesome!" I just really loved it. It's just. It's. It's very Nordic. It's very like. It's. It, um, and it's. It's not even so much a thriller or a mystery. It's just kind of about this. This. This guy and his brother. But, man, I. I highly recommend. I highly recommend that book. If if you like sort of like those Nordic thrillers or Nordic mystery, it's 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 that was an astounding book. Definitely one of the top books I've read this year. Okay, awesome. Well, um, 
Philip, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of the day to come chat with me. It's it's been great getting to know you. I mean, just outside of chatting on Facebook and and Twitter, and, um, and uh, beneath the pale sky comes out on June eighteenth. Uh, it is current my current read right now, so I will have a review out here very soon. Uh, so definitely look for that. Um, I'm going to be looking forward to Boys in the Valley as well because that sounds right up my alley. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll just kind of keep in touch, and we'll try to do this again. Maybe we can have a chat before your big door stopper comes out next year. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's supposed to come out. It's supposed to come out next spring. And okay. uh, and 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 I'll say this about Boys in the Valley. I'll say two things real quick. Plugs. If you order Beneath the Pal Sky, uh, if you pre-order it uh, through the publisher website, uh, um, you get a custom signed book plate, which is kind of neat. I had they're like they look like the cover. Um, and so that's kind of a nice incentive. And then, um, but that will com- be coming out in like an ebook as well. And then, uh, people, a lot of people have asked me about Boys in the Valley. Um, right now, the limited deluxe hardcover edition of 500 copies, uh, I think, is pretty close to being sold out. Um, and that's it for that novel for at least probably a year. Um, and then maybe at the end of next year or early 2023, there'll be a trade edition. But for right now, uh, there's there's just just the um, just the Earthling edition. So uh, that's yeah. A lot of people have PM'd me and stuff about it. So it, 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 I would recommend grabbing one of those if you can. I don't think they're too too expensive. But um, and then I'm also going to be in a Nightworms June package, the subscription package with Josh. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you'll if you if you subscribe to Nightworms, you'll be getting a copy of Beneath the Pale Sky already so uh it, it's i think that's been announced i can't remember but it's fine yeah. <laughs> well fantastic well, Philip, uh thank you again best of luck yeah. uh with the rest of this year uh with your releases and um we'll talk again soon we'll maybe we'll try to set up something for next spring awesome cool thank awesome. you so much absolutely thank you have a good one <laughs>